You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. A, 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 a Giants podcast for Giants fans. By Giants fans. It's Sean Morash and Paul Dotino. Down the sideline, into the end zone. From the offseason, through the wins and the losses, it's time to take one, one, one giant, giant step. step. All right, welcome in one giant step. It's been almost a week since me, Sean Morris, saw that beautiful face of Paul Dottino's as we took our little mini half a bye following the Thanksgiving break. But it is take command week for the Giants, and we are back together with a preview look ahead. It's Sean Morris, Paul Dottino. Paul, hello. How are you? Oh, good to talk to you again, Sean. I think we just got done with the leftover stuffing last night. Yeah, I mean, ours, we stretched as about as far as we could go before I'm, you know, done seeing turkey probably till around Christmas. I agree. Yeah, the stuffing, everything else. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, thank uh, Halloween candy just continues to stick around my house. I don't even know how my daughter (laughs) keeps pulling lollipops out, but they seem to exist everywhere. But neither here nor there. I'll tell you the good news, Paul. Before we get into everything, and we're going to cover the injury updates, which seems like a lot of good news for the Giants, still some lingering issues for others. We'll obviously look ahead inside these matchups, and I have no idea because I haven't spoken to Paul if he watched fully that Falcon Commander game because I exhausted all my time on Sunday watching that. So I'm sure we will share some thoughts on what the Commanders are. Paul is just shaking his head nicely. And by the way, you can catch a lot of these clips on YouTube as well now, one giant step entering that. All right, Paul. The good news is we are post-Thanksgiving. We are recording this on December 1st. I mean, we've gotten to the point where I got the stupid calendars with the little pieces of candy my kids are pulling out. We're counting down Christmas. And the reason I say that that's important is the Giants are still in control of a playoff spot. They control their own destiny. And for years and years and years, we've heard the Mara family say what? We want to play competitive, meaningful football in December. That has always been a target of theirs. Well, here we are for the first time in a long time. You want to count 2020 with a below 500 record? Fine. But on a on a strict this basis, no matter what's happened those last two weeks, Paul, 7-4, and four, Christmas time, December time, this is a good step for the giant organization here. Well, there's no question, Sean. You know, it was Mr. Mara, Wellington Mara, who always said you wanted your fans to be able to come to the last home game of the season with something to cheer for. That is the possibility that there could be a playoff spot on the line. And so it certainly looks as though right now there's a chance for the Giants to do that. There's also the opportunity with these next three weeks that things could go awry. We told everybody before the Dallas Thanksgiving game that, Losing to the Cowboys was not going to derail the season, contrary to a lot of hype going into that game. The Giants' two games against Washington in the next three weeks will determine their playoff fate. It is almost a guarantee that these two games, 
will wind up telling the Giants if they're going to be home or if they're going to the postseason. Now, it starts this weekend at MetLife Stadium. I don't think you and I are going to have any disagreement on this. While a split with Washington puts the Giants still in a mediocre position for the playoffs, you want this first game because it's the yeah. home game. It would also snap a two-game losing streak and momentarily stop the bleeding and take some of the momentum away from the commanders. I could sit here and tell you all day how a split still puts the Giants in decent shape, but I'm going to also tell you this is the one they want more than yeah. that second game down in Washington. Yeah, you check that for all the for all the right reasons. And before we get into any of the injuries and stuff, let's just start right there as far as the importance of this game. Uh, you know, on a flip side, I understand that they kind of ran out of gas in the Richie James fumbles on Sunday. You watch the Seahawks lose a game like that, and you suddenly realize, man, had the Giants won that game, then maybe it actually takes some of the sting of importance away from these because you can start counting games where the Seahawks could lose, and that could have left another another avenue. But because you lost that head to head tiebreaker with Seattle. Well, you better gain some momentum here and try to get some kind of tiebreaker and not allow the commanders to pass you. And and you're absolutely right. And I think stopping commander momentum is obviously going to be enormous in this whole whole thing, too. And look, Paul, I will tell you, obviously, I work on a national radio show here on CBS Sports Radio, the DA show. Right. And I follow a lot of things from a national perspective on top of all the Giants coverage, uh, almost in a good way. I view this as a giant because I've seen it go down this avenue. It feels like everybody is anti-giant and pro-commander as we enter this week. It feels very public how much everybody's riding that commander wave of momentum. And now the Giants, and Julian Love even said so on WFAN this week, it's, you know, wow, we're underdogs or being that disrespected. Everybody is really, if you were on the Giant bandwagon and you weren't a Giant fan, has really jumped off after the last two weeks. And look, I look at that and I say, good. This giant team, I've seen this organization play better when now teams are expecting, you know, kind of the least out of them. And this league we've seen be so weak to weak that I think this does in many ways set up very nicely for the Giants at home. No, I mean, there is pressure on them internally, but a lot of people on the outside expecting the commanders to win this game. I, I You know, I just think mojo wise, it sets up nicely for the Giants here entering this week. Well, you, you have two things here that have kind of contributed to that trend, Sean. You have Washington, which has won six out of the last seven, and the Giants, who, who have lost three out of the last four. So you look at the, the the ebb and flow of the tide with the two franchises, but then you also look at the health of the two franchises, and the Giants have been badly ravaged and yeah. decimated by injuries over the course of the last three or four weeks, while Washington is certainly a lot healthier uh, th than the Giants have been. So it's only natural that the human reaction would be coming in, well, this looks like Washington's got a really big edge. But here's what those outside people around the country don't know. They don't know how much healthier the Giants are getting. Yes. They don't realize and put the actual value on the return of a number of players on both sides of the ball, which should make the Giants a lot closer to whole as they were over a month ago than what you have seen over the course of the last few weeks. And that is a very, very significant part of the equation that I think most of your generic fan fan base is overlooking. Okay, so let's pivot here and take a look at the Giants injury scenario heading into this game with the Commanders. Okay, so if you actually looked, there was a, a tweet I saw out there that people tracked this. Of the top five teams 
with guys missed due to injury this year, three of them currently, actually only two of them currently hold playoff spots. That would be the Tennessee Titans and the New York Giants. Uh, Seattle is right there at five, but they're currently on the outside looking in. So right off the bat, it shows you this is no fluke. What we see from Giants land with all these injuries is a reality. They, you know, yes, people can talk about the war of attrition in the NFL, but the Giants are right there at the top as far as all these games missed due to injury. That's a real thing. And look, good job by Brian Dable and company keeping the Giants in playoff position. But yes, I think, you know, hand in hand, the Giants were never this deep roster. And we've talked about that all year long. So you know, they could ill afford to constantly keep losing bodies. And you had talked about it a couple of weeks ago. The reinforcements were coming. The reinforcements were coming. And then the Giants had a little bit of a backstep when Adore Jackson gets hurt. Wondell Robinson goes down for the year. McKinney. McKinney. And it felt like, well, the reinforcements weren't quite ready. And they're taking on water with these injuries. Now, McKinney is still clearly out. There's now reports he might have this cast off. We'll see how many weeks away he is. Adoree Jackson, he's one of the few listed as do, did not practice. By the way, we're taping this on Thursday when there won't be a practice off Thanksgiving week. So we're basing a lot of our things off Wednesday's injury report. But other than that, it feels like the cavalry is coming. Now, Ben Bredesen probably still out this week. It seems to be trending that way. But when you think about it, I mean, Paul, we've been talking about Aziz Ojolari all year. I mean, the Giants' best pass rusher from a year ago, you know, had had some moments when he played briefly earlier this year. You're getting him at a time where Kayvon Thibodeau seems to be coming into his own. Uh, I mean, talk about that injury first before we get to the other ones. I think Ojolari's a big deal on Wink Martindale's defense now. No question about it, because now you can bookend him with, with Thibodeau, who, by the way, is trending upwards. Right. We've seen that now over the last month. As the Giants have sustained so many injuries and they've had their struggles, the one constant in the last month is that Tibbs is just trending upwards. Uh, five quarterback hits last week, nine quarterback pressures. You know, even Wink said Prescott did an absolutely miraculous job to do what he did despite the pressure from Thibodeau in Dallas. Uh, I think the thing that you got to remember about the Giants right now is that the secondary is still hurting. Now, Moreau's got a real good chance to make it back. And that was that the next one I was going to Right, yeah. For experience purposes, you'd like to have him back. No question. Yeah, he's uh, not a Dory Jackson, Paul, as far as being able to shut down or you know another team's big receiver. He was a guy we have to remember that we picked off the scrap heap. But nonetheless, yeah. he's had a very solid sound year. And at the very least, starting him and getting him back at least allow some of those guys that you had to really play up in snaps to take a step back and go back towards depth purposes. No question. No question. Now, there's still no McKinney, so obviously you're going to be looking at Pinnock back there. Right. So it's fair to say the Giants secondary is still operating at significantly less than full strength, which means if this defense is going to buckle down and do what needs to do to win these division games, the burden is really on the front seven. It's yep. on it's on those guys up front. Wink has to basically put it on their shoulders and say, fellas, listen, it's going to be up to you. You're going to have to clog those lanes. And more importantly, you're going to have to do better on your pass rush. It's not going to be enough to get pressures. It's not going to be enough to get hits. You're going to have to get home and you're going to need actual sacks. You're going to have to help out that secondary because they're not what they need to be. So you guys have to do a job and a half to bring this thing home. And that's why old Jolari becomes critical. Look, he was that close to making it against Dallas last week. Yep. But they didn't want to take a chance because these soft tissue injuries, you know what happens, Sean? 
You tweak them, yeah, and, and then you're out another month and a half. Right. They knew. They knew the, the value of the Dallas game compared to the next three games on the schedule, and that's why they held him. That's why they held Evan Neal, okay? Because they know these guys. Bellinger the same way. Bellinger was real close to making it too. Right. But these guys are all coming back now because the Giants understand the significance of what's in front of them, and they need these guys to be able to produce on the field. And we're not talking about 15 snaps. We're talking about four quarters of hell in a cell, baby. Yeah, and let's talk about those offensive guys for a second. Obviously, Bredesen is still a key one that feels like he's still maybe another week away. But let's face it, everybody, and Paul, we had this conversation after the Cowboy game, and, and the big chatter was, what is going on with Saquon Barkley? Why does he look hesitant? Even if it was a shoulder injury, you know, legs, legs, legs. Well, let's also correlate things. I know the Texan game might be the outlier. They lost Daniel Bellinger, who was a two-way tight end, was an excellent blocker and had groomed that. They lost Bredesen both in that Jaguar game. They lost Evan Neal as well. And, and, you know, there's no coincidence you saw cracks in the run game the moment they started to lose guys like that. Now, Evan Neal, yes, he's a rookie tackle that has had his struggles in pass protection. However, if you look at his sacks allowed the last three games he played compared to the first three games he played, there was improvement. He was getting better as a player. So could there be extreme rust this week? Yes. But in the run game, I think Evan Neal, as much as Tyree Phillips gave them something, at least it also allows some of those other linemen to go back to that jumbo package as well. And Bellinger, let's face it, he's a better better blocking tight end than Lawrence Cager. Those guys coming back offensively. For all we've talked about, the lack of wide receivers and lack of weapons, the Giants' bread and butter being able to run the ball, they should fundamentally be able to improve in that area just by getting these bodies back that were so instrumental early in the year to the run game. You don't even know how right you are, Sean. Not, wow. only, did, right. not only did you hit the mark, you hit the bullseye and then split the dart. That hit the bullseye. Not why is that? Here's why. Because the Giants are a heavy right-handed team. If you look at their plays this season and break down the onion and go through the layers, what you will find is that they prefer to run to the right side because they have a right-handed quarterback and their strong side is going to be the right side more often than not. Right. Bellinger's going to be on Neil's shoulder. He's not going to be on Andrew Thomas's shoulder. Andrew Thomas doesn't need help to, to keep guys off his quarterback or to plow his way in front of Saquon Barkley. So what happens? Not only are you talking about taking Bellinger and Neil out of the lineup, two very important blockers, you're also taking them away from the very spot that the Giants want to run the ball. Yeah. See, so your point isn't just right on. It's emphasized because that's where they want to grind it out. And they couldn't do it with those two key elements to pave the way for Barkley. That was as big a problem as anything for Saquon over the last month. Yes, I'm sure he's hurting some. Yes, I'm sure his gas tank was a little bit low. I get the wear and tear from the first half of the season. But when you take the front two wheels off of your car, how do you expect it right. to drive 60 miles an hour on the turnpike? 
And in some ways, it's a good thing, right, that the Giants relied that much on two rookies that were performing at that level that allowed them to do their bread and butter. But to that point, Paul, we're talking about everybody being on the commanders and kind of getting off the giant bandwagon that they've lost two straight, which is understandable. You know, is the average national analyst looking and going, oh, yeah, Daniel Bellinger and Evan Neal are big deals? No, because they're not, you know, star names, but they are. Right. They are obviously big deals to what the Giants do. So, again, getting those guys back, getting those guys healthier. It looks like Feliciano is going to be healthy. With that, ironically, it feels like Nick Gates is now going to kick over. And this is what we talked about with Nick Gates, right? His versatility to play all over the offensive line. I went back, watched some of the things. I was pretty impressed with the way he played at center. I dare I would say he, I thought, was a little stronger at center than Feliciano had been at points this year. But Feliciano might be a better center than he is a guard, and we trust that Nick Gates can open holes. That's interesting, too. Gates next to Thomas could be a strength. All right. Here's the here, here's the reason the Giants are doing this. It's because that combination is the best combination they have. It's not about is Feliciano better than Gates or right. vice versa. Right. It's about getting your best five guys on the field, right? Right. All right, Sean. Now, follow me on this. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind, and you're entitled to disagree, that Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne, as a combo, are the best defensive tackle duo in the National Football League. Yeah. You with me? I, I'm with you. And by the way, we're going to get to this in the closing part. Deron, ba- Deron Payne won the game for the Commanders on Sunday. Yes, yeah. he did, with the tip pass. Yep. Okay. Now, these guys are outstanding in clogging rushing lanes when they're playing tight side by side. Not so much when they go with the wide nine formation up front. Right. Whenever they do that, the Giants need to audible out and run between the two of them because there is a gap there that you could run a freight train through. And I saw the Falcons take advantage of it several times last week, and I've checked with some scouts, and they told me the same thing. When those two defensive tackles decide to go extra wide in a pass rush mode, you can run right up the middle. So that's an interesting thing I want you to watch for. That's interesting. But, But now here is an interesting dynamic. Those two guys have caused hell for a lot of interior linemen this year. Well, you're not going to out-technique them, and you're probably not going to out-muscle them. They're just too talented. So how do you deal with those guys? You put pit bulls in front of them. Nick Gates is a mauler, okay? Feliciano is a mauler. Glowinski is a tough son of a bee. On the field, especially almost in the run it, game. You almost said it. All right. <laughs> These three guys, with their attitude, their mentality, and their style of play, all three guys are scrappers. That's the way you have to play against Payne and Allen. You're not going to outpower them. You're not going to out-technique them. you got to get down and dirty, wrestle them to the ground, and you got to be scrappers. This is exactly the style of interior linemen that could potentially neutralize those two. This is a very big part of this matchup. No doubt about it. And by the way, you know it should be noted the the symmetry and the irony. Nick Gates suffers that gruesome injury by sliding from center to left yeah. guard versus Washington last year. So it's got to feel like a full circle moment. You know that he will be revved up and ready to go and give the Giants all they need at left guard. Okay, with that, it's time to look ahead into some of these matchups here that you just alluded to with the commanders and maybe look back on what the commanders present. All right, Paul, so you and I both watched that Commander Falcon game. We clearly see that they have become red hot and they have momentum. And look, they should be credited with 
winning a lot of these close games, right? If we're going to credit the Giants for doing that earlier in the year, well, certainly the Commanders deserve a lot of credit. But, you know, as I go back and I watch a lot of these Commanders games, look, the, they got the Eagles to turn the ball over a bunch of times, something the Eagles hadn't done all year. They're, they figure out a way to be the first team to beat them. You know, they were very lucky to escape with beating the Indianapolis Colts, who were very much on a downswing at that point. And obviously last week we saw the Falcons come in, no Kyle Pitts, you know, a team that was a little similar to them. And Paul, my main takeaway from that game, and tell me, obviously Payne deflects the pass late, Falcons are going to the score, is number one, as as spunky and energetic as Heineke is, and as good a receivers as McLaurin and obviously Samuel are, you know, Heike still struggles to drive the ball, drive the ball, drive the ball, which I think plays into the Giants' secondary where, I'm, you know, people want to say, oh, you know, how do you guard McLaurin? How do you guard McLaurin? I I just don't think that he presents the same challenges Dak Prescott clearly presents. That's number one on that note. And then to turn around on the flip side, you know, you talk about what the, what the D tackles did in the interior of the Washington line. You know what really worked for the Atlanta Falcons the best last, uh, last week? Well, when they were able to run a lot of that RPO stuff and Mariota was the one carrying the ball outside the tackle. So we have seen the Giants this year when they need Daniel Jones, like early versus that Bear game, take off and run. He could be a difference maker, scores two touchdowns like that. You know, they've held back there. It appears now I'm reading reports. His knee brace is finally off off of this, you know, mini buy as well. I think, Paul, defensively. I'm not as worried about the pass. It's about shutting down the physicality of Brian Robinson, who was really, really physical in that game. And, you know, our D-line stepping up. But offensively, I think this is a game where you don't hold back on what Daniel Jones does with his legs. All right, let's take this in two parts. Okay. We talked about Heineke, all right? Heineke has the gunslinger's mentality. He will force the ball into spots that he shouldn't. That's why he's thrown interceptions in five of the six games that he's played this year, okay? He believes that he can get it through that little, little space at the top of the knitting needle. That's the way he plays. He will also hold the ball longer because as he's running around back there, because he does like to move around some, he is going to hold the ball, hold the ball, hold the ball because he wants McLaurin to run the scramble drill to give him the chance to get that big play. Right. Now, how does that work in the Giants' favor? Well, if this pass rush, boosted by the return of Algelari, can get to him while he's holding that ball longer, that usually means you have a better chance to get some hits and some sacks. So that's one thing that you've got to look for from the Giants' front. Defensively, you got to say to those defensive backs, be aware, this quarterback, when he starts rumbling around back there, he's looking to throw it. He's not necessarily looking to run it. So you got to make sure you plaster and keep playing the receiver. Don't be fooled into trying to come up and run support. Stick with your receiver because he's going to take a gamble and try to make a play and throw it at you. So think about getting that pick because he's going to come out with a late pass. Right. Now let's flip it to the other side. If Chase Young does play this week, he's missed 20 games because of an ACL. He's going to be on a snap count. He's going to be rusty. We all know what happens with guys who come back from this injury. It takes them a year to get their legs back. I would just abuse the hell out of him. If he's in the game, I would go right at him every single snap. Paul, Paul, this may be a mistake by me, and I get it, but for everything you just said, snap count, coming off of it. I've even read some reports that don't be shocked if they hold Chase Young back because of the MetLife Stadium turf as well and give him another week. Fine. 
I don't, everybody's talking about Chase Young coming back, and I understand why that's a big deal for the commanders, right? We're pointing to Daniel Bellinger being a big deal here. But from a Giants perspective, I don't view that as like, oh my goodness, Chase Young's coming back, the Giants are in trouble. Because also, you know, last year, Chase Young, even before injury, had a down year. I still don't even know what Chase Young is. So forgive me, snap count combined with all of that. And by the way, we have Andrew Thomas at left tackle, depending if they line him up there. If I am not panicky, like some fans might be about Chase Young coming back in this game. You know, I, I don't think Chase Young's going to be a factor in this game at all, even if he does play. I don't right. think so. That's my point. I would I would take him. To me, if he's on the field, he hurts the commanders. And quite frankly, did you watch Smith-Williams last week? Did yeah. you watch how yeah. poorly he played? Yes. Now, at least yes, he's, he's healthy. Right. right. At least he's healthy. But this guy, I I, I he is the one poor ingredient on that commander's front. Obviously, yeah. Allen, Payne, and Sweat, those guys are as good a trio as anybody in the league up front. But they can attack that way. They can even attack that way in the run game. You know, I mean, well, it's, it's no question. It's totally, but, but the, totally plausible. The thing about Smith Williams, he gets fooled on all the RPOs. Mariota had a feast running to his yes. side last week. Yes. Because he's constantly getting folded inside, constantly giving up the edge. Daniel Jones has to see that on film. That, and that, that's that's my point. I mean, to me, I think of anything. And we're going to give our game picks and, and the fantasy reality stuff in just a second. When I watch that Falcon game, like that's the biggest thing that stood out to me is I've seen Daniel Jones do this better than Marcus Mariota is doing it. Yes. I see this clearly that Washington is giving up these. And I know Washington's watching tape, and they know that this is going to come, and it's going to be right. They're going to try to find a way to solve that too. But I, the Giants have held back, and I understand why. You don't want Daniel Jones getting hurt. And, you know, he was still coming back from his injury himself. This, and as Brian Dables now alluded to, right, This the season starts again now. This, to me, has to be, we need Daniel Jones to do this to win this game. We're going to do it. And, oh, by the way, if they do this enough early where maybe they're not saving back for the second half, don't look down. You know, the Giants could build a 10, 13, 14-point loop, dare I say, in the first half of this kind of game if they're running that to success and then get their pass rush. Like, that's not entirely impossible for the Giants to be playing from ahead here in this game. I'll say this to you, Sean. Daniel Jones needs to be aggressive with both of his traits, not just with his legs in this game, which, of course, I can't believe I'm saying this because I'm not one who wants to see quarterbacks run a ton. Right, no. But he does, have, he does have to take advantage of what Washington's going to give him in the run game. But the other thing is he needs to be aggressive through the air as well. Sure. Did you know that Washington's secondary is the most penalized secondary in the National Football League? I did not know that. That's why you come to one giant step. Paul's got the penalty stats. They have been, they have been flagged 11 times so far this year which leads all secondaries and penalties by, by the next next team is three behind. The average secondary in the NFL has been flagged five times this year. Wow. And Washington's got 11. What does that tell you about them? Yeah. I mean, look, even by incompletions, we could get yardage down the field by a penalty Bingo. coming. Bam. Bingo. Whoa, Take I'm your shots. Up. Be I'm, aggressive. I'm fired up. All right. So – Let's take a peek ahead now. Paul and I, you've heard us preview the game, talk about the injuries, everything. We're going to give you our game pick. We're also going to give maybe a, you know, a touchdown score kind of fantasy play for the Giants and maybe some reality of the game as well. Paul, I'll let you take it away here off this mini buy. Give me everything you got. Throw it all on the table for me. Well, I, I'm looking at this game, and, and I, I really do think it's a steel cage match. Obviously, both of these teams have similar desires. Washington would like to grind it out. 
They know the Giants' rush defense has been sporadic. So they want to grind it out that way. Well, the Giants' offense wants to grind it out that way too. We understand that. They're getting Bellinger back. They're getting Neal back. So both offenses want to do the same thing. Both defenses have been more suspect against the run than the pass, although the Giants' secondary, again, has been hurt lately. But I think you would make a very strong argument that both of those, quote, strengths of the running game on each side of the football should be the way to go. But here's the thing that that I'm thinking about, Sean. I'm thinking that the Giants still have a lot of dusty chapters in their playbook, stuff that we've started to see a little bit of with Matt Breida. We saw a little Gary Brightwell last week. I'm thinking there's still surprises that I know I saw in July and August that I've been counting on for a long time to come popping out. This has got to be the week you pop it out. Okay. Start dusting off some of those chapters because Washington hasn't seen any of that stuff yet. So I like the Giants to win this game 24 to 20. 24 to 20. All right. You have a touchdown score, uh, you know, some kind of fantasy play there for us today. What do you, what do you oh, think? Oh, fantasy play. How about Daniel Bellinger? You just took the words out of my mouth, right? Long time coming. And by the way, you know, remember that London even Packer with the Packers, they haven't run in sweep rounds. They're not afraid to use Bellinger in creative ways. I think that's not a terrible play. All right, Paul. I'm along the same lines as you. I think the Giants are going to win this game 23-17, and I actually think they're going to be in a position defensively where the Commanders have the ball back with some time. The Giants are only up six here, and it's a matter of keep them out of the end zone, and I think it's going to be either Ojolari or Thibodeau that makes a very fun play like we saw versus Baltimore early in the year. That's I just I have a feeling it's going to come down to that. We're going, okay, the pass rush is back. Giants, of course, won't make this comfortable because they never do. 23-17 is the, is the game there. Uh, how about a play? I, you know, called a hunch, got screwed last week. Give me Isaiah Hodgins to get back in the end zone. I mean, that play that got called back a week ago, you know, I do like, for whatever reason, it just looks smooth, right? You know, Daniel Jones found a way to get him the ball. I think he finds a way for for a passing touchdown to get in the end zone. And Paul, just one last reality check on this game. I predict that this will happen. I'm going to go ballistic. The Giants still in this game somehow will take either an illegal man down the field penalty or an illegal formation penalty because it feels like it's weekly. And if that ain't cleaned up, I'm going to go nuts. But I think it's going to happen again this week. I I still don't understand what in the world is going on. The epidemic around the NFL for, for those penalties. Look, I, I will say one thing, Sean. Let this game be decided by the players on Sunday. Honestly, I don't want either the Washington fans or the New York fans waking up on Monday morning screaming about how some stupid phantom call screwed their team out of a victory. Because that's not what the NFL should be about. I agree. I agree. This is a big one, obviously. So we will be back with you on Monday morning, recapping all of the chaos. Hopefully I have a voice. I will be sitting in the crowd, screaming and yelling my head off as Paul does his actual professional work at the stadium. So we will collective heads. Uh, Maybe we'll see some of them. Not as much wind. It looks like 48 and clear. Believe me, I've been looking into that. So decent cold day, but decent day. Uh, Maybe down to 43. But nonetheless, an interesting day at MetLife Ahead. Paul, where can we follow you on Twitter? At Giants WFAN. And you can follow me at Mraz CBS. Thanks to our producer, Adam. And thank you to all for subscribing, downloading, and taking one giant step with us. <laughs>